Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pit and a Napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 141, and I haven't had this format in a while, and it was it was just time. It was time to get back to a little quick hitter format episode, and so we've got four terrific coaches that are going to be on this week, starting with Ryan McAdams, the head women's basketball coach at the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith. And we're going to talk about rebounding here in a couple minutes. We've got three other coaches that are going to be on the line here this week. Uh, And the thing that ties all of these folks together in some way, shape, or form is the Snow Valley Basketball School, as Coach Showalter would call it. Uh, All of the folks that I'm having on this week, uh, we've met through that tract and... I thought, hey, let's do a quick hitter. Let's tie in the Snow Valley stuff, and that's what we're going to do here this week. So we're going to kick it off here with Coach McAdams. Coach, how are things uh, in northwestern Arkansas this fine afternoon? They're going great, Coach. I appreciate you having me on. I really appreciate you growing the game and doing what you do for the the coaching field. Uh, It's funny that you mentioned the Snow Valley connection. I'm actually wearing one of my Snow Valley shirts today (laughs) in honor of Coach Showalter's birthday on the day that we're recording this interview. Today is Coach Show's birthday. Yeah, he turned 39 (laughs) once again this year. Once again. I don't know how many times he's done that now, but uh, (laughs) we're definitely honoring the Snow Valley Basketball School today. You bet, you bet. So, uh, Coach, we got to know, uh, get to know each other a little bit this year. Uh, got to hang out a little bit. We worked some some of the stations and some of the clinics and stuff together here. And uh, you were in charge of uh, demonstrating. Uh, you had your own clinic at, at one point, and uh, one of them that you did, I, I think you had multiple ones, didn't you, Coach? I did. I did. Yeah. yeah, but this was... This is by far the most challenging one, especially to get the kids going on it, as you know. Yep. Uh, so your your station was on rebounding, and, I mean, you do this long enough, you watch people work, you know who's got it and who doesn't. And, you know, I could tell that you're really passionate about teaching rebounding and go and attack the basketball and, and, and on both ends of the floor, teaching how uh, to, to teach this concept. So uh, when I decided to go with the quick hitter route, I thought this I wanted this to be one of the topics. I thought, hey, this is what I'm going to go with here. So, so Coach, I would just like for you to kind of uh, take us through your philosophy of rebounding, uh, what you know, how you guys kind of do it down there at Arkansas Fort Smith, um, what you teach your kids, uh, some some drill work that you uh, that that you do, and and you know, just let us uh, just let us kind of follow along with with how you teach uh, this very important aspect of our game. Yeah, absolutely. Um... You know, I, I think rebounding really is another opportunity in our beautiful game for people who are less talented and less skilled to make an impact, right? So, you know, Tate Flock always likes to say that, you know, offense comes and goes, but defense travels. And I strongly believe that rebounding travels too. Uh, you know, you, it's an effort area. It's a heart area. It's a want-to area. And I think that, you know, obviously – it can be very size-based, but it can also just be very effort-based. The, yep. the style of the game today now generally sees more perimeter shots than ever before. Well, long shots equal long rebounds. And so I also think that having a nose for the ball, despite your size, can provide you the opportunity to be a good quality rebounder and to help your team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I, I have I have different philosophies that that have kind of contributed to how I do things, and sometimes it varies by which group I have from year to year. But um, you know, let's just review real quick what we did at the camp. Um, you know, grassroots starting from the from the first step. You know, especially on the girls' side, um, I'm a big encourager of, of just jumping, of just yeah. getting off the floor. Um, I have a 12 year old daughter and a six year old daughter, and uh, my 12 year old needs to be reminded sometimes to leave the floor. So, <laughs> you know, we started from just standing still and jumping, and actually asking the kids to really get up and, and do the best they could, get as far off the floor as they could, and then. You know, take a half step and then even a full step and a lead up with some of the volleyball players I uh, would call their almost an approach to the net, really. But just put it in one place just to kind of empower them and to remind them that they really can get up and off the floor, even if it's not a habit that they've formed within the game. Um, a quick story I told the kids at Snow Valley that I'll share briefly the first Snow Valley camp I worked was in 2003 in Santa Barbara, California, and one of the directors out there was Charlie Sands, who uh, was a Canadian gentleman who actually played hockey as his main sport, but he uh, found his way years uh, later into his adult life in Los Angeles, California, and he was the head men's coach at uh, L.A. Valley Community mm-hmm. College, Los Angeles Valley, and you know, he was, you want to talk about an outside-the-box thinker, you know, this was your guy. You know, he was one of the most prolific and impactful camps in the country, um, directed by, you know, Cleet Adelman and the Rick Adelman family. And, and Cleet, uh, in his own right, was a legendary coach in Southern California, but yep. and then a Canadian hockey player. And so what Charlie would make his players do is every time they grabbed a loose ball or a rebound, uh, they would have to yell the, the word mine just to alert everybody in the room that the ball was theirs. And it was a possessive thing. It was an aggressive thing. Um, And so I had a little bit of that channel out of me uh, in my rebounding clinic, just a little historical perspective for the kids uh, at the camp they were at. But rebounding in and of itself as a quote-unquote skill, um, you know, we we talk a lot about see ball, get ball, for those who maybe aren't as physically, uh, you know, put together or filled out yet. Um, you know, finding a way to swim or, or get around people and using agility and quickness. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just just that nose for the basketball first and foremost. And then as they grow and they get bigger and, and more physical or willing to be more physical, I should say, you know, the, the skill development of the actual hit and get or, you know, really turn and, and box and seal somebody and then look for the ball type of thing. Those things start to take shape. But Well, you know, and, and, and you're emphasizing there, you know, just how important, you know, a lot of people think it's all about size or strength, but to me, rebounding is in so many ways just about footwork and beating people and getting lower than them so they can't even get to the basketball. And, and that's exactly what you're talking about right there. Yeah, and, and I'll be honest with you, at our level, which is Division Two four year, I have a good number of players that when they first get to our program, they like to turn first and then back up into the, the, the person they're trying to hit or box out. And again, I think that's a characteristic or a trait of a less physical person. Yeah. I also think it's, it's less, it's not taught as, as much these days, and that, that sounds like a very general, you know, old man statement, but it just doesn't seem to be as taught these days as facing up with somebody and putting an arm bar 
into somebody's chest or midsection to what I, the, the, the term I use is stand her up. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't let her be the lower person, which was, will win most of the time. Mm-hmm. Stand her up so that she's the higher person and then do whatever you need to do from that point to get the ball. And, and oftentimes, you know, I've, I've had our team stand and count how long it takes from the release to the time that the ball is in the rebounding area, not necessarily hitting the floor, but the length of time it takes from uh, the release of a shot, either mid-range or three-point, all the way carrying off the rim to, you know, where it is reachable for us to go grab and, and just allowing them to see how long physically in time that really is and how much time they have to seek out somebody hit somebody and still be on time to turn around and get the rebound kind of so, kind of working on that internal know, clock coming off the rim there yeah yeah and yeah. just building the confidence and, and and trying to get them out of the fearful mindset of if i if i lose sight of the ball i won't get it you know the mm-hmm. the, the, the terminology that i was given when i grew up was was you know look at the person first if you hear shot or if you see the shot being taken your first job is to find yours and, and to go hit them. It's not to follow the line of the ball. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think year to year we we challenge our kids to to really at least pop somebody one time, you know, and the more physical of the level or the, um, you know, whatever you want to kind of identify as, as whether or not you're able to, how physical you're able to be. Um, but we really talk about standing somebody up and stopping their momentum. You may not, I mean, if they're a good rebounder, like I worked in New Mexico State for a while and Jamario Jones was there on the men's side and he was undersized and, you know, his metabolism still hasn't caught up, I think. He's been in the G League for three, four years. And, you know, but the guy, I mean, Dan Marley sat on a press conference after a grand game in a uh, basketball game and said, you know, somebody asked him why, you know, what he thought. The main reason was, you know, of them losing, and he said rebounding, and he said, and I told my entire team that we had to box Jamario Jones out, and we just couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so you just talk about guys with heart, and kind of that, you're slippery, you're slithery, you're agile, you just find a way to, to find crevices between bodies and things of that nature, and then you just really study the caroms of the ball and know where the shot's being taken, where it's going, and those sorts of things. So, you know, it, it can be an elite skill set, you know, and what is almost a, a barbaric skill within our game of just almost hand-to-hand combat at times within close proximity of the rim, it can really be an elite intellectual skill set. And yeah. it's really kind of fun to watch the good ones do it. So when you're when you're breaking it down for your kids there at, at Arkansas Fort Smith, uh, what uh, what's your kind of your drill, pro- your progression or your, your teaching progression as you're going, you know, one-on-one or you jumping in like three-on-three or or things like that. How are you guys teaching that to, to your players when you're going to be starting uh, practices here in five or six weeks? Well, we'll do the first step of, of what I was told is called the Celtic drill back in the Cousy Russell days when they would get it off, off the glass and outlet it and, and run the lane and score on the other end. Um, I worked under a, a terrific head coach, Brooke Atkinson, at New Mexico State, and I, I think she got the drill when she was working for Ryan Williams at Colorado State, but mm-hmm. we we put a coach on either lane line facing the baseline about a step above the block, and we each have a, a blocking pad, and they, the kids love that because they get tired of getting <laughs> pounded on, so they like to get a little back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, coach would say, ready, ready, shot. And you also have another coach or a player, the next player in line, with the basketball on the baseline. 
and they slam ball into the floor and bounce it high enough to where the rebounder has to stand up the coach with the pad, turn, locate the ball, and go get it with two hands and two feet off the floor. And then, you know, on the rebound, when they come down with it, they pivot to the outside, and there's a kid in the outlet line or one player in the outlet line, and they have to throw an overhead outlet pass. And, and the, the teammate dribbles the ball down the other end and shoots a layup, and the rebounder fills the outlet line. And so it's a continuous drill. Um, it, it really emphasizes the contact point of, uh-huh. of, of really anytime, and also being able to react to the verbalizing of a shot call because we all know how often we can get caught up in screening actions or things off the ball and not realize the shot is taken unless our teammates help us out verbally. So reacting to the verbal hitting somebody with a forearm into the pad, turning if you feel you're out of time, or just at least hitting and going and getting the ball. And really, I think, locating the basketball. So even though you know the area that it's going to be coming down from and you know where the person's standing and where they bounced it, you know, we give the person who bounces the ball some freedom of where they put the trajectory of the ball. They could let it bounce toward the corner, you know, back toward the rim a little bit within reason because both sides go at the same time. But um, it can be a high-intensity drill. Um, there is some standing in line, but there, it can be high intensity drill. And then once the kids shoot the ball at the other end, they dribble all the way back down and in a hurry because we usually only allow them to have two to three balls in each line. So they actually got to get back into, into, into our end. The, the progression of that is to ball fake the overhead and take one or two jailbreak dribbles and then pass ahead so that you're not making the pass until you're probably almost to the volleyball line or even further. Mm-hmm. Um, throwing it up ahead to your teammates for the same reason, and then you're looping back to the outlet position. And so that's kind of a, a, a pretty static, if you will. It's a stationary target to box out, um, and knowing exactly, like I say, where the ball is probably most likely coming down from type of thing. Um, so that's one of the initial kind of building block drills that I really like. I learned it four years ago, and I really like that one a lot. Just again, because of the emphasis on actually making the contact with the forearm and allowing them to develop confidence because I got a blocking pad between me and them so they can hit the pad as hard as they want and try yep. to build that habit in the game, hopefully transfers over. Um, another one that we build from there that we did at Snow Valley was um, a, a stationary target still, but, an, but a weak side target. So putting an offensive player on, the, like, say, the right wing, an offensive player on the right elbow, um, and then an offensive player either on the on the right block or the left block, either one. And then matching up three defenders but putting them out of those areas. So whoever's guarding the right wing is standing on the right elbow or below the right elbow. Whoever's guarding the right elbow is standing on the left elbow. And whoever's guarding the block, if it's the left block, they're full fronting. And if it's the, the right block, then they're often help or on the left block. And then you have a coach with the basketball on the left wing. And so you're shooting the ball from the quote-unquote weak side. Everybody is in a help position. And then as the shot's taken, the offense is crashing, and the defense is now hitting a moving target who's crashing from the weak side. Um, and this can also be, you know, you can you can add variety to that because that's obviously a pretty straightforward, you know, you're guarding mm-hmm. – and you're just moving sideways and trying to get that done. But, you know, oftentimes you'll hear people who play zone say that we need to rebound down or even in help side man stuff where, you know, you're in rotation and the weak side block is occupied with nobody there to box them out. And somebody needs to rebound down, come down from a higher point on the floor mm-hmm. and, and try to move somebody back behind the backboard or, or push them below the rim. And so, um, you know, you can 
can assign different targets, you know, put the, put the person on the elbow has got to go down and block out the block and, mm-hmm. and vice versa or what have you. And so, kind you of know, get those rotations going. Opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, um, and, and how important is that to have your players understand that importance of that, that weak side rebounding and, and getting that, that, uh, contact in that space because I, what's the math two out of every three shots end up uh, going over to the weak side and and a lot of times our players don't know that off off of off of things instinctively it's something that we have to teach them that hey just because you're really away from the ball doesn't mean you get real lazy you see a shot go up now you got to work really really hard to go find somebody in space and that's a that's a tough that's a tough skill to master it really is and I, I totally agree with what you just said and I also believe that we all love buzzwords right we all love hashtags and phrases and slogans and we love to use the term rebound out of your area. And then I don't know, I think that's such a vast description of a, of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's really specifying, yeah, you're out of your area, which means you're, you're going to go hit somebody who's somewhere that you're not. But you're also, you know, that, that is going to vary on what point of the floor that really is. So are you rebounding down? Are you dropping from, you know, charge circle to a strong side or, or what have you? Um, and then the last, the last drill I would, I would describe, hopefully accurately for you, <laughs> which is difficult verbally, but yep. is the, the well, you know, another version of a circle the wagons drill where you have offensive players, you know, spread, you know, if it's a three on three, their their block extended or even you know halfway between the block and the wing at the forty five, uh, one on each side and then one in the middle on the rim line in whatever position, and then you have three defensive players circling and constantly telling each other who they're about to rebound if the shot is taken in that moment. Mm-hmm. And obviously with, with your team, you know names or you know numbers, obviously. But like at camp, it was really fun to challenge those kids because they didn't know each other. I mean, I think the Eastern <laughs> Division, which you were working in, and we were working with 180-something kids. So, yeah. you know, they were literally identifying kids as yellow shirt and blue <laughs> shoes. And it, it was quite entertaining to listen to, Coach. Yeah, well, but you know what is that they figure it out, yeah. right? And then it's also just another drill that I love because if both of you go to the same person rather than stand up and stop and start arguing with each other on who thought they were should be boxing out, you still have time to go find the open one, identify the open rebounder, and go hit him. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that, that. I love that drill because it creates the communication and the verbalizing, but it also really emphasizes how much time there is between the shot being released and the shot being rebounded and so you know but yet just i think the identification right and that window of time as long as it is it's still very small in in you know relative terms and so you know you if a shot's taken and you're not hit if you're not boxing anybody out and you're wondering who you should you have to be able to identify somebody and go hit them and again you know, I tell our kids all the time, just because your kid's on balance or your player's on balance does not mean you don't have to rebound. Come down here and double-team the post player. You have time. Don't don't watch yours, you know, go go back on defensive balance and then stand there and wait for an outlet. Mm-hmm. Come help us, you know, secure the rebound, secure the possession. So, um, you know, I would say those are the specific drills that, you know, I lean on a little bit and then, you have your rebounding war. We you over the two groups and they close out from baseline to elbow and a coach shoots it and you go by scoring systems and, mm-hmm. you know, you give a certain team, you know, you got to get two in a row to get out or to rotate and the number of points the offensive team gets while the defensive team is going through, 
you know, their repetitions is their number, and then you flip them, and whoever loses has a penalty or what have you. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can get more and more creative the more you go. Um, I just, I love talking about the mindset of rebounding, you know, because yeah. I just think it's it's a special, intricate skill that is oftentimes, you know, in my in my experience, well, I would say in my opinion, I would compare it to like an offensive lineman in football. Right. Yeah. So you have mm-hmm. these people that are generally considered to just be big blocking, you know, humans. Right. Yeah. But yet they're doing, you know, that you have a pulling guard who's got to read certain defensive coverages. And, and if you watch, you know, football players on television, they're constantly pointing out to their quarterback what kind of coverages they're looking at. And these are some of the most intellectual people on the field. Um, but they're considered to be these people that are just physically brute force. Yep. strength individuals. And I would consider rebounding to be somewhat of an equivalent. In basketball, it can be almost one of the most beautiful parts of our game, but yet it really, sometimes it just looks like hand-to-hand combat and just a physical aspect of the sport. So it's kind of fun to watch it and kind of study it and just kind of talk about it. Yeah, love it, Coach. Love it. Uh, if uh, if folks want to know more about your program, going into your second year, Correct. Uh, that is correct. Yeah, yep. So we're we're trying to kind of get some things turned around there. Uh, if folks want to know more about your program. How do they How do they find out? Yeah, you know, our website is is up and running and great. I invite anybody if they need anything to. You can reach out to me on my cell phone at nine two eight seven nine two thirty two hundred. I really I don't mind people reaching out for basketball things or if there's anything I can do to help grow the game like you like to do and like you continue to do. My email address is ryan.mcadams, R-Y-A-N dot M-C-A-D-A-M-S at U-A-F-S dot E-D-U, U-A-F-S for University of Arkansas Fort Smith. And really, anybody who wants to reach out and talk hoops or if I can help with anything, I'm more than happy to do that. We're, we're really excited. You caught me at a great time, a high-energy time, a high-optimism time. We just finished our first opening team meeting last night and had half of our individual meetings this morning. Um, you know, we have nine new athletes in our program. Um, you know, four, you know, four year trans, five, four year transfers, one freshman, um, and three junior college transfers and five returners that are ready and chomping at the bid. And, and we're, we're ready to really get going. And Lone Star Commerce is a great league to be a member of and, and a great challenge. And so I'm, Really thoroughly excited going into year two and, and just happy with the group we have right now. Great to hear, Coach. Great to hear. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on here today. And, uh, you know, this this great information, again, kind of, you know, that, that rebounding thing. What's uh, Was it was it Riley that said it? Rebounding equals rings? Um, and, yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, goodness gracious sakes alive, isn't that the truth? So love love the stuff that you're able to share today. And, and like I said, just really appreciate your time coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, and thanks again for all you do for the game, Coach. We no, really appreciate you. No problem. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, Strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners?
This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Next up on our Snow Valley Quick Hitter, uh, Volume 9, is one of the organizers and, and one of the big... You qualify as a bigwig, Coach Slaba, at, uh, at uh, Snow Valley. Uh, you, get, you know, I was talking to my son right before I called you here, and... Uh, I said, you know, I said, I, I got to, Michael, I got to get off the phone with you. Uh, I got to talk to Coach Schlaba. Uh, do you remember him from Snow Valley? He's like, yeah, I think so. And the first thing my son was said was, uh, is he the guy that gave us the checks? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's the guy. He's like, oh, yep, yep, I know exactly who you're talking about then, Dad. So, uh, well, I, 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 I deliver the checks. Coach Showalter writes them, I deliver. <laughs> and, uh, but no, it's, it's good to be on with you. We've we've enjoyed Marty having you come out to, to work camp the last few years, and uh, it's like anything. Snow Valley is a special place. Uh, special relationships are built there, and it's a, a community of coaches that are givers and uh, kind of put back to the game. And we're fortunate. And uh, the, the only thing, uh, probably, uh, you say big wig. It's probably just because I've known Showalter. <laughs> I've known Coach Showalter longer than anybody else has, and so I've just been with him forever. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna hitch your horse to something, you know, you should probably be someone like Coach Show. And he gave me my first job in coaching back in the mid '80s, and so we've been pretty much together somehow, some way ever since. Uh, well, you know, you've you've had a little bit of a busy. Uh, time here you know you you had got snow valley stuff going on all summer probably some recruiting during that time uh then you're you're moving into a new facility there at cornell and uh you know now you got you got your students moving into school here at the start of the school year so uh you are like the old lionel richie album from about 1983 can't slow down uh, how's that for a reference for you uh that is, but, that's but, exactly but, right and you know what this is uh we had our we had six freshmen and two transfers move in yesterday, and I'll get all my returners in Saturday, Sunday. And you know, I think everybody always says, you know, greatest day of the year is Christmas, and I think it probably is now, especially if I get my uh, my whole family together with my grandkids. That's always pretty special. But I've got to I've got to say, move in day, first day of practice. Those are probably two of my easily my best days of the year, and it's you know it's. Uh, uh, it, it's just co- it's it's just cool to see everybody get back and excitement to be back on the campus and campuses kind of come to life when you put bodies bodies on them you know and it's uh, the grass is pretty green but there's nobody around in the, in the <laughs> summer so it's it's uh, it's good to have the kids back well especially after the last couple of years and now this this kind of feels like the first normal fall in about three falls for for our kids and and you've got. Uh, you've got some, your kids are a little bit older than mine, but you know, we've got all three of ours in college and, and especially for our oldest, I mean, his college career has just been turned upside down because of COVID and it's nobody's fault or anything, you know, uh, but it's just kind of nice to, you know, just see some normalcy, you know, return to, to things and especially for our, our young people, uh, in that regard. No, you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, I think back to the guys that are juniors for me and one of them is my son, Gabe, who's a manager for us, and then I'm lucky enough to have my oldest son on my staff, Zach. And uh, but I think back to Gabe as a freshman, and and he roomed with another basketball player, and 
those guys couldn't even go out of their dorms. Yeah. I mean, they that you know you'd have to zoom from your dorm room. You couldn't mm-hmm. go out of your dorm room, and yep. it was a pretty uh, uh, it was a pretty dismal uh, first year experience for the kids that are juniors this year. And so, th- thankfully, last year was a lot better. And let's hope, uh, knock on wood, this is going to be a better a better start to the school year. So far, it is. Yeah. So, Everybody's got to be excited for that. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'm excited to hear you uh, kind of come on and talk about the topic that you're going to uh, bring to the quick hitter pod of our of our Snow Valley guests this week. Uh, t- just uh, progressions, teaching offensive progressions, uh, step one, step two, step three, and implementing your your offensive structure. And, and so at this point, Dave, I'm just going to kind of step back, let you cook a little bit. If, if, I, if I've got questions or something like that to add, I'll try to politely interrupt you here. Uh, but just tell us what you do there at, at, at Cornell uh, to, to implement your, your offensive scheme. And, and then uh, as we get through that, you know, kind of talk about how you kind of, you, you talked a little bit about your unique way that you teach your defensive scheme while you're, defense, uh, while you're teaching your offensive scheme as well. So, you know, just go ahead, coach, and, 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 and let it rip. Well, good. I, I appreciate that, Marty. And we, you know, you we, we just talked here, you know, ten minutes ago. Like, you know, what what should we talk about? And that's a good thing about coaches. We, it doesn't take us long to figure out <laughs> something that's fun to talk about. And we usually don't need a whole lot of prep for it either. And mm-hmm. um, but but you know, like we were talking a little bit ago, that I think probably the first thing that it might shock people is is how simple like we keep it. You know, I, I, I can't speak for anybody else. I, you know, there's no right way, or wrong way. I just know how we're going to do it. And we, we really, really keep, keep things simple. And so as far as we're, we're a team that doesn't run a lot of sets, uh, we might go into a game with four or five sets that are live and somebody better maybe poke me midway through the game in case I haven't called one yet because uh, I may not. But, you know, I always have a fancy little play sheet in my pocket, and I'm not sure I really ever get it out very much. But uh-huh. we, what we try to do is keep it simple. Um, I think the first thing that we will have to get uh, straight with everybody is just uh, the, the most important thing we do is spacing. Uh-huh. And, and so – when we get the new kids, I always say this is kind of where high school guys play. This is kind of where college guys play. If you watch an NBA game, this is kind of where they play. You just kind of keep moving right up the slots, mm-hmm. a, little, a little higher wing, you know. And so the first thing we kind of got to get, we'll put some structure and We're a two-sided break. Um, you know, I know Brett Timpton does a ton of great stuff. And if anybody, he's he was with us last year at Snow Valley, and he's coaching in Germany now, but Brent, Brent Tipton has a ton of stuff online, just about two-sided break. So conceptually, that's kind of what we do. You know, we just try to we try to give people a four-out look. Uh, you know, our big's going to be our big, and we try to have we try to have a big one out there. And so he's not necessarily going to be someone that's going to be bringing the ball up the floor or anything. But we would hope that we've got four other guys that can lead, at least initiate. So whatever we're going to do, we're probably going to start day one with just getting the floor spread and transition where it be uh, off of a miss, a make or whatever. We want to get to some spots and we'll blend our other four. We, we do have somebody that we would call like a handler, which I think is just a fancy term for point guard that he would, you know, we would try to run the ball through him on a made uh, coming off of a made shot or a dead ball, but any other live ball rebound that we're just turning and going, um, 
we're, we're just, we, we want to try to put poor people capable of, of pushing it in that, in that kind of that middle of the floor. And then we try to get guys filled to the corners mm-hmm. and try to be like a high 45. Yep. And if we can get that first spacing and structure and then, um, then you'll add things to it. Like, okay, if we don't have it, we're going to be trailing a big, uh, we call that like a slow play. And that obviously can turn into what everybody else in the world does. We can drag, mm-hmm. you know, like right mid, mid, you know, over in a slot, whatever. We might push it over a little wider, just change an angle, or we might flatten it out, whatever it might be. But we would always have that. And then I, and then, and I, so we might build that in. And mm-hmm. then, uh, after that, we might start doing more of a stagger away, like what an NBA, uh, a lot of them call that strong action mm-hmm. to where it might be that, um, the bigs trailing, the 45 will go screen down the corner and we just get a stagger right behind it with the big. And, uh, we do that a lot of times, hopefully maybe occupy some people on the, on the backside. And then we might just run some pistol action, like keep or give whatever, or we might come and set an under ball screen on a two man side. And usually if, if possible, that'd be great to have maybe your best player in the, in the, in the single corner that's long enough to maybe come up and set a ball screen and step off or short roll or whatever. But, you know, we'll build things like that. So instead of, um, you know, instead of having from day one, just working on a bunch of sets, it's memorization. And, you know, there, there's, there's, it's not bad. Trust me. I've done yeah. that. Yeah. I, I just, I like playing a little bit more unpredictable, a little bit more in space, like guys make plays. And so we'll kind of start there and then we might a week in might add horns. So say maybe we, it's a dead ball situation. We just don't want to bring it up and get like a four outlook with, you know, a, a drag screen, hard roll, you know, and try to shape up around that. We, we might add like a horns look. And then mm-hmm. within horns, we'll just do what everybody does. If we, we, you know, we screen it with one guy, he might roll backside guy might pop, or he might do opposite. Just very, very basic. Mm-hmm. Once we get just the structure of horns and kind of where we want to start it and that, but then I think if we ever have anything, we probably just continually add and subtract with our horns package. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. It's, it's good basketball. Um, so you can always have some sets coming out of timeouts and, and some things like that, or even in, a, in after a made shot, if you just want to get into some early action. So I would say then like really the next thing we'd work on is horns. Um, and then probably after that, we'll get to like more of a structured four out or we might tilt it. So it looks more like a one, three, one set. Mm-hmm. And then out of that, we just learn how to play. Yeah. And then again, you might, might add a might add a set, but you might not. So we might be three weeks into it with just a few horn sets, and that's it. Well, and, and uh, one of the things I really like about running that horn stuff is, especially like as a high school coach, is if you feel like you only have two or three guys or gals that can be playmakers, well, you can kind of design a lot of stuff where you take player four and five and just stand here and get in the corner please and we're going to let our our best two or three kids cook out here in in space and you could run a lot of different things in that regard and i think 
you know, for me, I know that that's something I've leaned on the last few years is is getting having that type of look. And plus, you can get okay if if you are that kid in the corner, even if you're not a shooter, when that shot goes up, you've got great angles to crash and go get some offensive rebounds as well. No, that's a great point, and and I think that's um, uh, you know the good thing about college is you can. And now we're not, you know, I always said like. Uh, if uh, Kansas is recruiting a four-man, they might have eight of them that they really could could use, and they're all gonna they're all gonna be the skill set that they're looking for. Just the first one or two of them are a little better than the seventh one. Yeah, but they all kind of look alike, mm-hmm. and they're gonna get they're gonna get you know the big guys are gonna get one of them. Mm-hmm. They might get four, not the first one, but that one's still gonna be a big, long stretch dude that can play we might just have to go get a basketball player. So the one thing that I think that, that, that we've always got to be, and I, and I think a high school coach, and I've been a high school coach more than I've ever been a college coach. I sure. mean, started with Coach Schalter at Mid-Prairie back in the mid-'80s and was with him off and on and with some colleges and back with him in my own head job. And so I, so I get that part of it too. But you don't, you don't really con- get to control your roster in, in the high school. And, and in theory, in Division two. You can control it, or excuse me, Division Three. you can control it, but if, if all of a sudden you find a really good basketball player, you're going to take that really good basketball player, but he might not schematically be the same as the guy that just graduated. So you can't be so married to the a system, system yep. that that you're now you're trying to, like, force feed something. So I think part of the reason, and Division Three is kind of an odd animal to begin with, where we can't really do anything with our guys until October 15th. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't have a lot of time. So if you can just get to where you're teaching spacing and then learn how to make plays and and horns or, you know, uh, Coach Tate's lock, uh, you know, work, he was not with us this year at Snow Valley, but he, he's been with us for years at Snow Valley. And, you know, he's one of the greatest basketball minds I've ever been fortunate enough to be around. Uh, and, and to think of his pedigree – the fact that he hired Coach Bob Knight to be his assistant at Army, that's mm-hmm. how long he goes back and just the success he's had. But he always would tell me that he, and he said even back when he was uh, Coach Knight a little bit, and he went was with him in Indiana a little bit, but he'd always talk to him. And they would be, they would always try to get Isaiah Thomas somehow, some way, get the ball entered to him at the free throw line or a little above the free throw line. So if they had great spacing, and that was back in there, you know, all their motion days yep. but somehow some way they'd like to get that ball centered back to him in the middle of the floor and i think it's that old saying you put a you put a decent player in the center of the floor you've made him a good player you put a good player made him like a really good player but you put a put a put a guy like that now you now you've almost got an unstoppable player yep. so a lot of what you do just like you're saying with horns kind of where you want to manipulate to put people you know, just trying to get the right guys and whatever in your world is where you think your sweet spot and your offense starts or goes through, I think you've got to always keep that in the back of your mind. How can I get the ball where I want it as simply as I can and that everybody else is spaced mm-hmm. accordingly? And I, even at our level, I think it's hard to play somebody right now, Marty, if they don't uh, – uh, you know that old term. I mean, it's not really an old term. It's coming more popular all the time. Saying that a 
player needs to have gravity. You know, yeah. If you're going to stay out there 25 feet, they're, they're going to have to. It's hard to tag off of a a guy that has great gravity that can make shots. Yep. And so you're just pulling defenders another two steps out, and you've just increased. You know, a a, a single gap becomes a gap and a half. A gap and a half becomes double gap. So you you've created some driving some driving lanes, some driving angles. And so I think still at the end of the day, you've got to have guys that can stretch the floor. And we always, you know, it's like say stretch spacing in our transition. And, and uh, that's kind of important too. But again, all of what we're talking about is, it's not hard. It's not rocket science, not original. It's just playing in space. And, And that's what we do. And so I think at the end of the day, all we're ever trying to do is get the ball downhill, get the ball to, we get to two, we play off a two in the lane, stride uh-huh. stops or off, jump stop. We, it, it's just what we do. Uh-huh. We work on it every night. We do a series of drills called Nova drills. And it just looks like those Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart and all those guys yep. who played at Villanova, how they always got to two and they flip it a little bit back in, or they patient pivots, we call them. And then we, we try to get that ball to the lane we say logo. We don't want it too deep. We never try to split multiple defenders. That if we can get the ball to the lane and we can find defenders and we've got to come to two or a stride, and then somehow, some way, we want to have that perimeter space uh-huh. that we know that we can we can spray it back out and we should have a pretty good look. So everything we're doing is trying to get the ball to draw some attention in the lane and then make the pass accordingly that, that, that you know, and so what we do through analytics that we know, um, we know that uh, one post-touch three is more efficient on like point per possession than just reversing the ball and taking a three. And there's nothing wrong with reversing the ball with no paint touch if you're wide open. But numbers don't lie, and you might be at .9 something doing it that way. But if you can get to paint and spray it out of paint with at least one post-touch, uh, now you're up in for the 1.15 or the 1.2. Mm-hmm. And and again, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, Marty, but I would rather take 1.15s <laughs> and, and 0.96s. Yes. And, and so, but, but I think uh, kids are very inquisitive and I think you've got to let them know why, why you do things. They got to know what the why is. And so I don't think you can have like these hard set things that you're drawing up all these fancy plays and, it's like to get this shot, but then never tell a kid why you're getting that shot. You know, the reason we're trying to get that shot is it's a 1.11 and this 17 footer becomes a 0.83 or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and having synergy, those numbers come to us in about, it takes me, it takes us about 10 seconds to get those numbers. Yeah. And so we are lucky at this level that we can have synergy and, and we can get to those get to those kind of numbers so i think what we try to do is say why you know let yep. them know why yep and then then you've got to be a little bit of a hard case that you don't accept what you don't like and so you just have to be diligent about shot selection mm-hmm. and sometimes what some guys think is a pretty good shot it may not be a horrible shot but one more or get to paint and then yeah. a spray is a better shot. Yeah. And so you just can't, you can't accept people taking shots that just the numbers. And I don't want to sound like I'm a big analytics guy. I'm not, 
but there's common sense to it, and you, you have can, the data available. You've got to use it. Numbers, we'll make better decisions. And so we really work hard, Marty, on that kind of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like we're doing these drills. We call them Nova finishes drills. We do them every night. And we've got big rosters here in Division Three, so we might have 25 to 30 kids some nights of practice. So we've got to be able to go to two ends and get high-volume reps in. And with this Nova finisher drills we do, and we get every sort of drive-to-lane kick, drive-to-lane finish, drive-to-lane pivot, you know, up and unders. You know, whatever it might be, we work on those. So if that's what you want and you know what's important to you, and again, I think if I could give anybody any advice – know what's important to you then you've got to really you've got to you've got to believe in that and but you can't just guess on it i get i mean i think i used to think we had some pretty cool stuff and then when you'd really go back to chart it we weren't we weren't scoring at a high enough clip to even make either it wasn't drawing fouls or you know you you know it was a two-point attempt and you're only shooting in the 40s with it or something whatever it might be but at the end of the day it really didn't make sense so I think you got to get those things out of your repertoire and, and then just get in what what makes sense and what's going to work. And then based on that, we just will start, you know, kind of a long, long, long way around this. But whatever we're doing, whether it's action where, you know, people call everything a little different. It could be just uh, pistol action. And Dave Severns, another Snow Valley guy, has got all sorts of great videos on. You just search Dave Severns on YouTube. All sorts of art or uh, videos on on running pistol offense. So we do a lot of that in transition. Or we'll change our angles of side ball screens. We'll flip our alignment a little bit, you know, uh, and then we'll just put actions like flares or staggers or dribble handoffs. Uh, uh, you know, whatever that we're looking, and the list could be somewhat long. But we're just trying to to build things instead of putting a play in. If I don't know if this even makes sense, so instead of drawing. At, on the pen and napkin, you know, because we've all done that. You betcha. And I don't, I don't want to lose your podcast. Like when they find out you don't have to draw all that. <laughs> oh, up. Oh, dang but, it, dang it! But oh. you could be out of business, Marty. Good thing you're teaching too, so you still got something to fall back on. I was going to retire and next year, but now I got to teach another you, you 15, 16 years, little, Dave. Yeah, a little bit longer. Yeah. And uh, but we would rather people know that hey, we're looking to get a flare, or we're looking to get a dribble handoff, or. A lot of times we'll center the ball with our big and then he'll push it to a wing. And that means the wing's going to go screen the corner. We're going to do a dribble handoff short roll. And we're going to shake action or lift action behind mm-hmm. it. You know, so we teach actions. Mm-hmm. So then we don't necessarily need plays. We can in transition, hopefully get savvy enough guys knowing that they can start looking for actions based on our scout or based on what we're seeing or how we've been, how we're being guarded. So we don't ever really go into a game with just like a, having no like a ton of sets. Now we mm-hmm. might have five that we've been working on leading into a game, but we've just got through two or three out that we've been using for a couple of weeks. You could always draw one of those up and the guys are going to have a recall on that. Yeah. But if, but if you're working with 50 or 60 of them and they're seriously, I don't know, I'm sure some guys have at least that. And uh, oh yeah. To, oh yeah. It just slows to me. It slows me down and slows my guys down. I mean, if, if I've got to think about it a little bit, I think players probably got to as well because they're, you know, they're they're in splitting the atom in a science experiment <laughs> mid afternoon, and so they've been doing they've been doing high level stuff here at Cornell, and and for them to to bounce back and and, and have to know then fifty plays, I, I just don't, and I'm not sure that's the funnest way to play. And, and again, I'm just 
those of you that do that, that that's all right. I just, I know what works for us and kind of, we recruit the guys that probably want to play the way we're going to play. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that kind of makes sense too. Yeah. And, and in turn, you know, we talk defense and I don't know when you, if you want to get into that, but whatever we're teaching on offense is really what people run against us. And, mm-hmm. and that's why I think in, that's why I think NBA guys can be traded on Monday and play on Tuesday. Yeah. Because every, everybody's running the same stuff. And, and in the NBA, they almost call it the same stuff. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, it's just actions. Mm-hmm. And by that time, they're so versed on actions. And so defensively, the only thing I really want to control is I want to control. And again, if we're doing it with 25 kids, so this, you know, coaches in similar situations might find this helpful. Uh, there's some nights we'll have 25 guys. So instead of going 12 and 12 at 2N, if we really want to juice it up and we really want to control the reps, I will control the defensive guys. So I am always, uh, we are always going to dictate who the five are on defense. Cause I think you need defensive continuity with the guys that are playing together. Mm-hmm. I think they got to know how to switch. They got to know, you know, for ice covering. I mean, I just communication. I, I don't think you can be as random with your substitutes when you're working on your quarter court defense. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're a little bit more specific about who's on black. So the, the, the team with black jerseys is, I don't know why, it's just the way it is. They're, they're the ones that are on defense. Yeah. Then we can take a short corner, which would be a line of our four, our, our, our bigs, our, our fifth man and our four out. And then one steps on an offense, three, three might be on the baseline. They rotate. And then we got wings and we got slots. And then I don't really care where any of my guys line up. I just want the guys that are playing short corner spots to kind of hang down there. But some of them need to go out and play in the perimeter too. Yeah. But, but that can blend any way it happens. And I don't mind a freshman who's probably not going to play varsity for a year or two playing with our best fifth-year player. In that situation, I'm not – I think it's good. I, I don't necessarily think it benefits any of us team defensive-wise – to blend too many people up on the defensive end. I think now everybody's going to get those opportunities, but they need to be in groupings that they're going to play with. It might be the guys who are in the reserve games with. And, and I don't know if that makes any sense, but but then we're just going to run action. So if we know that a team is going to do like they'll start their offense with the you know a UCLA cut, pass the wing, UCLA cut, step the step the guy back out, reverse it, pin down, whatever the, whatever that action might be, then then that's what our offensive guys are going to be running but then some of that is then stuff that we could go add in later because we ran it and so we're just controlling the defense like substituting and then anybody else can blend but we're not doing that four on four shell and again a lot of us have done that a long time and still and it still has some merit i'm sure but we just want to go five on five because the way we switch the way we've got to trap the way we've got to help it makes it kind of cumbersome and not really realistic if we don't have that fifth body out there yeah so so, yeah. so those are some things that i don't know what your thoughts are on that but but that's kind of how we do our defense where we really put a thumb on who the five are together and then some coaches are concentrating on that and then uh and we if, you know if, if, if we're, we're, one of our coaches might just be harping on rebounding that night so my guys have different assignments mm-hmm. i think it's hard to watch everything yeah yeah, we we uh, we we do. You were talking about like the four on four shell, and we we do some three on three and four on four, but that's to teach our our offensive concepts. 
and and we're worried about you know teaching our kids you know and we're you know we're teaching high school girls not uh college men's basketball players but uh we want our kids kind of like you said to uh here's here's your job here's how you read this or that and and we just try to hammer that in over and over again and now in in year three i really feel like we're really ready to turn a corner and just being able to to play basketball uh but when you're talking the defensive stuff i do think uh, we don't worry a ton about the, the defensive stuff when we're going four on four. Obviously, we want them to execute. We want them to, to do our principles. Yeah, but that, absolutely. But, but we're on ball coverage and such. You yeah. bet. But, but that's when we, we really narrow down our, our defensive coverages on the defensive end is is getting into those five-on-five situations. And, you know, when we do that, I mean, we, we do it a variety of different ways. A lot of times we'll have a practice where, um, or you know, our school colors are orange and black. So we we'll, we do a lot of what we call up one down one, where it's literally just one possession. Okay, right, orange teams up one. Here we go, up one down one. Orange teams up one, and we jump right into it. And it's just one possession. Uh, the orange team, if they've got the ball, uh, they're down one. They got to score. Black team, they're on defense. Uh, they're up one. They got to get a stop. And a lot of times we'll just do that. We'll do like a drill, up one down one. A drill, up one down one, and we'll do that six, eight, ten different times throughout a, a practice, depending on the length of practice, just to put the emphasis on quick change, quick uh, locking in mentally, and uh, putting the emphasis on you've got to concentrate on this one possession at a time. And and for us, that that's something that's worked well for us as well when, you, when you're talking that five-on-five shell. Uh, we, we do that a lot, and, and I really like it. Um, or we do... No, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, we do a lot of, uh, and this year we'll finally be able to, we'll finally have enough numbers, but, uh, been wanting to do this for a while. It's just, Hey, five on five on five. And we, we've got X amount of possessions, uh, or X amount of time or whatever. And, and I, and I really like the, the possession part of it, you know, first team to, to three stops, five on five on five, you win or, uh, three scores or, you know, get a, get a turkey, get, get three scores in a row or get a kill, three stops in a row. You win. You yep, just absolutely. Any, any, anything like that where it's short, quick bursts of intensity. And you can do that, like I said, that up one, down one, five, six different times in a, in a practice. Or you could do that five on five on five. Okay, this time it's first team to three kills. You win. And you if you get a kill, if you get a stop, you stay on the floor. That's one. And, and the first team to three kills. And, and that just puts that emphasis on, you know, you know how it is, Dave. You get into the last three or four minutes, and your kids don't realize that both offensively and defensively, you're in a tie game with four minutes left to go. Well, ultimately, that comes down to your your five on five on five or your up one down one scenarios, and you're working on it all the time. It's just the kids don't even realize that you're doing that, and you can reference that in the timeout huddle or or in your case, like a media huddle or something like that. And and it's and it's easy recall for your kids to understand. So um, no, that's 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 really good stuff, and we. We'll do we'll do a lot, and we do this every day. It's like we we know what we're going to work on with spacing, and we will play make it take a break on a miss or a steal. Mm-hmm. So the defense, if they want to get going, they've got to get a stop or they got to get a steal. And we always, in that case, we transition one way. Mm-hmm. But then we're working on defensive transition. Then we're working on the transition offensive spacing. Mm-hmm. So we kind of know that the crew that's going to be on offense might talk to me, and I'll say, this is what we're looking for. They go out there. Someone's harping on rebounding. Someone's 
probably chirping on the defense off the baseline. Uh, they transition the other way, but anything that needs to be taught, there's a coach at that end, and then they're off the court, 10 more come on, mm-hmm. make it, take it. And a lot of times we'll do make it, take it, and then transition one way, then we flip roles yep. more often than not, and then they'll make it, take it, transition back, those 10 are off, and then that's when you would probably coach those guys up on what just happened, Yep. and 10 newer in and. The 10 new again would start with probably me on offense. We'd have a guy down the baseline be harping a little bit on the defense and someone's organizing the groups and uh, make it, take it, transition, you know, break a miss and uh, only transition one way. Mm-hmm. Then when they flip it, change roles, come back. And then you can run, that's 20 guys through in a pretty quick amount of time mm-hmm. and then then control kind of how you're subbing into that. Yep. So if you have teams of um, – you have four teams of seven, you know, now you're, you know, now you're 28 kids. Yep. And everybody's kind of evolved about every, you know, you, you don't sit very long. Yep. Then you're always trying to do, I think, some of the coaching at the end of the transition when those 10 step off the trans, you know, the second transition back, then, then instead of stopping practice, you're, you're doing more off, off court teaching at that point. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, so you're always looking for ways to kind of keep it going in practice so you're not, you know, you're not slowing things down. And, you know, like Coach Showalter always says, you know, we always, in every coach's meeting at Snow Valley, we always talk about, you know, uh, coaching sound bites, not paragraphs. And yeah. I think you, 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 I'll tell you what, kids, you, you want to grind kids to the ground. It's just sit there and talk a lot in practice. They just, <laughs> and, and if, if I get that way, then, Usually I've got an assistant coach that hit me across the head and said, come on now, let's go. <laughs> and and uh, so we try to keep things going pretty good. But, you know, I think, you know, anything that we'd want to just kind of say, like what we've talked about here, it's just keep it simple, learn how to run some actions, learn how to defend those actions, figure out that pretty much everybody's going to come back to some of those actions and you're probably running those actions. So instead of uh, – calling a play i might just say uh, i want strong or something well they know that next time in transition we should try to go a double away mm-hmm. should i stagger away but it's not necessarily a call or at a timeout we're like you know i think we could do more we could push our ball screen over out of the slot pin it to the side a little bit more so we open up especially if we feel like we've got a good shooter in that 45 you know whatever it might be it's so whatever you like and whatever you think's going to be effective for you and whatever you do that day during practice, they've got to know the why. They've mm-hmm. got to know why that's good for us. And you got to back that up with numbers. It can't just be, I'm the boss. I mean, yep. you know, it, it's got to be factual. And then I think if they start understanding good shot, bad shot, and the definition of bad shot in theory isn't really sometimes bad shots. It's just analytics would say one more, you could have, you could have sprayed it to the corner. We could have had an unguarded corner. That is a better shot than the one you just took. Yep. So you just gotta you gotta preach that kind of selfless attitude on the, on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. And we've been good at it. You know, I think we've gotten better at it for sure. Yep. Great stuff, Dave Schlabach, the head men's basketball coach at the original Cornell University, as I That's learned. That's correct, 1853. This, this, yes, and the, the Ivy League Cornell is, what did you say, 1858? It's a little bit older than us, and so, you know, 
Big Brother. Yeah, there you go. There you <laughs> go. So, uh, Coach, if, if anybody wants to know anything about your program, any social media you want to put out there? Yeah, you know, I'm on uh, Twitter, Coach Slabaugh, and that's uh, uh, S-C-H-L-A-B-A-U-G-H. Go to our website. Uh, you know, just go to the Cornell College Athletic website. Uh, I, I have an office phone, but I don't, I don't even think I ever use it. My So my cell phone's listed on my bio on our website. I'm, I'm really easy to catch. You, you probably think we, we've been trying to chase the time to get on here, and it's been a little <laughs> hectic this week. But I am, for the most part, pretty easy to catch. And we are in a we are in a brand-new $20 million renovated deal that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm looking out right now. I'm watching our football team scrimmage Luther. Gotcha. And I, and I'm just about close enough to – to see the action and uh, right out of my office. So it's a beautiful place. Anybody want to come over and talk hoops? Let's do it. Awesome. Awesome. Coach, thanks so much. Thanks for, uh, uh, welcoming, welcoming, uh, myself and, uh, you know, this summer, Michael, uh, with, uh, open arms over at snow Valley. It's been great. My, my calves have finally recovered, uh, from, from the experience. And, and I promise, uh, you know, next summer, I, I really hope I'm over the whole insomnia thing that I went through this summer uh, as well. So, uh, oh, no, that's 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 tough. And and uh, no, we loved having you out, Marty. And I, I'm getting I, uh, Coach Showalter's in Croatia right now. He's been gone. Since mm-hmm. He has been gone for a while. And and uh, I think he and I. I'm not even sure the date yet, but we're heading to Omaha here, maybe over Labor Day. I'd have to check my calendar. Yeah. USA basketball is having a gold camp and Mm -hmm. he's been on me for, for quite a while to, to, to to come and do one of those. And, and so I am going to do it. And I, I, I said, the only way I would do it is if my guy Raz Vanderloof would come down (laughs) from Sioux city. So I got Raz coming and uh, I think Jason Kern's coming over with us and, Joel Lincoln will be there, so there'll be some Snow Valley guys for sure, and uh, I think Mo, Mo Boykins will be out there. And so, uh, again, you know, the Snow Valley deals, it's it's a big part of my life. I know that, and it's a big part of any any success I would ever have in coaching would have to be – would have to circle back to, you know, Coach Walter Tree and the Snow Valley people. And, and uh, yeah, so some, I know you've got a real loyal group of followers. If there's anybody that – that's interested and would like to give it a, a try, you know, they just get a hold of us and we like we like getting new coaches and we do all the time and mm-hmm. it's not easy. It's not a camp, uh, man. It's not easy. It is not for the faint of heart, you're, no. You're, you're gonna come out of it a better coach and, and, mm-hmm. and you and probably the most important thing is you're gonna come out of it with some really cool friendships. Absolutely. All right. Well hey Dave, really appreciate your time this week. Thanks, man. Thanks, Marty. Yep. If you are a coach in the Omaha Council Bluffs Lincoln area be sure to sign up for the Metro Basketball Coaches Association Coaches Clinic Series to be held at DJ's Dugout at 114th and Dodge here in Omaha, Nebraska. The Omaha Metro Basketball Coaches Association has four clinic dates lined up, September 21st, September 28th, October 5th, and October 12th, and we'll have some of the best coaches not only from our region but nationwide. If you're interested in signing up for the Metro Basketball Coaches Association Coaching Clinic Series, send your registration and fee to MBCA, care of Tom Crable at Boystown High School, 122 Heroes Boulevard, Boystown, Nebraska, 68010. 
Registration fee is only $75 per coach on your coaching staff, and you won't regret signing up for the Metro Basketball Coaches Association Coaches Clinics. Next up on our Snow Valley Quick Hitters is the 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 legend out of the Commonwealth, and we established this off-air, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, uh, Liz Kay. Uh, Liz, how are you doing here today? I'm doing really well. Excited to be here. Yeah, big day tomorrow. We were talking, uh, first day of the new job, and uh, the, the last thing you get to do professionally before you move into the new gig is, is jumping on a pen and a napkin. I, I don't know how professional a pen and a napkin is, but it's, it's <laughs> something, uh, you know, it's, it's something. It is something, I'll tell you that, especially when you're going to get the Snow Valley crew together. It's definitely something. Yes, well, we've, we've had a good run here, and uh, excited to have you on uh, again. And uh, we're just going to talk some late, late game uh, philosophies and strategies and, and kind of what you prepare for, uh, things you think about, how you prepare for late game uh, situations and stuff like that. So uh, let's just jump right into it, Liz. Uh, kind of what... Uh, let, you know, late game stuff usually starts in practice, and uh, and and so so. What do do you do uh, with your gals to to prepare for late game situations? What's your what's your process of of doing that? Is it really formal? Is it something informal? Uh, how do you, how do you do it? Well, I would say that I, I think a lot of it comes down to practice planning, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. think I think when when we all go into practice and we've got everything listed minute by minute. Um, you know, inevitably you're going to go away from that minute by minute plan and, and something's got to give at the end of practice because you took, took a little too long doing something yep. that perhaps, you know, you, you didn't mean to. Um, so we actually tend to work on late game situations or situations in general at the beginning, because I okay. think that's sort of become one of the most important things that we do. So, um, so by and putting my goal it at the is beginning, always certainly that, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. So by putting it at the the beginning, what it allows you to do is to prioritize it, and you don't lose track of it at the end of the day. And it's fresh. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, the kids—they're thinking their clearest. I think as they come into practice. So mm-hmm. we we actually tend to do that pretty early. Okay. Um, and a lot of that, you know, goes back to you know, you talk about the Snow Valley crew. Uh, you know, Coach Show is a big proponent of anything from small sided games to situations in general. So. You know, sort of that movement has has occurred certainly for me over the last several years. And talking to him and 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 talking to some of the other Snow Valley crew about um, sort of the best approach to how to handle practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's been sort of a primary focus for us, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're doing that at the beginning of practice, uh, is it? Uh, yeah, we're down to 32 seconds left. Ball on the side. Uh, you know, you got it really spelled out, or is it a little bit more of, hey, it, it's one possession, we got to score here, or we got to get a stop, or uh, how do you teach that, um, that that type of thing? I think it obviously varies uh, offensively and defensively. Um, uh, my husband, who is one of my assistants, is sort of the offensive guru, so we handle a lot of that stuff um, certainly with him, but I would say that those are all relatively pre-designed plays within the framework of obviously our scouting. Um, we, we, you know, one thing that's come about from COVID certainly is, is at the high school level and it's always been present at the, at the college level, but is the ability to have a lot more film than we ever had before. Yep. So we're very aware defensively or, uh, of what teams are going to do and how they handle various situations. Um, 
and then additionally, obviously, I'm I'm more of a defensive coach, so I kind of know how we're going to handle those things in terms of situationally, uh, you know, up or down or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also would say that I'm I'm a big timeout saver, mm-hmm. so I really like to use those opportunities not to necessarily draw anything up that we haven't you know that we that we've already covered. Uh, we're not going to put something new in a timeout, um, but to use those timeouts effectively to see kind of what the other team is in, is doing and what their what their plan is. Yeah, I'm a timeout hoarder as well. Uh, what's what's kind of your philosophy? How do you view? Uh, your, what do you get in, uh, in Massachusetts for fulls and and thirties uh, total? Uh, we have five fulls. So when I was in Connecticut, it was three fulls and two thirties. Massachusetts is five fulls. We have a shot clock in Massachusetts. I did not when I was in Connecticut. Gotcha. Um, And so how you approach, obviously, the end of game is very different. We Mm -hmm. always talk about how, you know, when you don't have a shot clock, uh, you're coaching by score at the end of games. And when you do have a shot clock, you're coaching by the number of possessions. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I think that changes quite a bit. Um, You know, and I always like to give, I, I think a big piece of that is giving different looks after timeouts, if I come out and we're going to play man to man and then, you know, a team sees that and they call timeout. Well, now we're going to our zone, mm-hmm. you know, so the the opportunity to take advantage of those situations as yeah. well. What's your uh, so do you, you guys have four quarters, 32 minutes? Correct. OK, so uh, what's your uh, philosophy like? you know, kind of breaking down the game. And, and I think that's a, you know, we'll start with there with timeouts because I think that's something that's, that's not talked about a lot. Uh, in an ideal situation, and, and you're going into it thinking, you're going into a game thinking, uh, if, if it's a typical, typical game, and I think it's going to be pretty close at the end, like it's going to be a four-quarter game. Uh, how many timeouts do you want to, in a, in a perfect world, how many do you want to use uh, at, at what certain points do you want to go into the fourth quarter with X amount of, of timeouts? What's your philosophy on that? I would say, generally speaking, I, I will probably use at maximum one timeout in the first half. Okay. Um, I think it really comes down to how comfortable, as a coach, how comfortable are you with runs, mm-hmm. right? If you have a younger team, maybe you're not comfortable with runs that are made by another team and you need to take that time out to settle kids down. Um, I look at it as a, you know, situation where you go, okay, am I more comfortable with the run or less comfortable with the run? Or am I more comfortable in late game situations or am I not? Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to balance, right? Yep. So yep. when you get into the fourth quarter, for me, and I have a younger a younger group now, my group is very comfortable with anything from 12 to 14 point runs because we are very capable of making that same run. Yeah. So they don't stress out about that. Yeah. Where they stressed out with a younger group is you're under two minutes to go. You know, coach, can you talk us through this a little bit more? That seems to be of more of a primary uh, importance at that point. Mm-hmm. So if in an ideal world, I'd have four timeouts in the fourth quarter. Yep. Honestly, yep. because now you're dealing with foul trouble, yep. perhaps different lineups on the floor, different positioning, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, great minds think alike, at least I hope anyway. Uh, I want I want to have four going into the fourth quarter in a perfect world uh, and, and a big one. And we talk about this with our kids. I don't want to have to call the first time out of the game because I feel like 
yes. when we are forced to call the first time out of a game, especially in the first quarter, that means we're not ready to play at the level that we need to, to be at, at the urgency level. So my kids know if I'm calling a timeout early. Uh, now, my, my first year, uh, you, you had to change things when you're taking over a, a program that only won 10 games in three years. And so it, it was more of, okay, sometimes we just had to get through the first quarter. So it, it was much less of a of a criticism to have to use a timeout or two in the first half because that's what we needed to stay afloat. Uh, but as we hopefully kind of continue to improve and start turning the corner to where we want to get to, uh, that becomes part of the psychological part of the game as well. And I know you guys have had a lot of success. I'm guessing you've probably had that same type of conversation with your kids as well. Well, I think you have to. I think, I think you know, when it comes down to it again, you know, are you guys, again, are you more comfortable with, with a run that doesn't go your way or would you rather – you know, have me talk you through the last couple of minutes of the game. And I think that's a big conversation that I have with my captains. I, I think mm. that, that what's really fascinated me over the years is that we've had a lot of coaches come into our league that have been previous college coaches mm-hmm. and they use timeouts right away. Wow. Okay. Um, and I don't know if that's the trend across the United States, certainly, or whether there's people that make the move from college to high school, et cetera. But I found that to be a trend where, you know, I've coached against college coaches who are now coaching high school that are using a timeout in the first two minutes of the game. And and that's just philosophically very different than mm-hmm. what I want to do. And it's six nothing, you know, like, yeah. why are we? Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, I, I would say, though, when I say talking kids through the last couple of minutes, philosophically, they know what I want them to do. Yeah. You know, like we know on an out of bounds underneath play, generally speaking, we're going to cover the blocks and we're going to cover the best players. I mean, that's, that's going to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. we know theoretically how we're going to handle sideline out of bounds plays or going full court and all that kind of stuff. There's a very good uh, feel for the time element and the score element there. Mm -hmm. I think the reassure, it really comes down to where do you need and when do you need the reassurance? Mm -hmm. You know, do you need it early or do you need it late? Mm-hmm. less so than the actual preparation of the plays itself. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, a uh, – are you one of those uh, coaches that has a, a, a baseline out-of-bounds play or a sideline out-of-bounds player or whatever? Uh, do you have kind of a set in your hip pocket – that okay, we're only gonna we're gonna try to only use this the last two minutes again when you know you're going into a, you're you're probably coming into a a 32 minute type of game or or is it more of we're just gonna kind of run our stuff and and we're gonna run what we think is our best play uh, what we think at that time uh, how, how do you how do you do that Liz? Uh, we actually try to sit, we try to save a, a play that they have not seen mm-hmm. um, the entire game and and and. The exception to that would be, you know, sort of my go-to end of, I call it end of game, mm-hmm. but basically I think there has to be a set, and I think this is very underrated. I, I was at a coaching clinic several years ago where they put this in. I wish it was a Liz K original, but it's not, uh-huh. um, of getting the ball to your best player when they need to foul you. Mm-hmm. And we have a very distinctive end of game set to get the ball to one of our best two foul shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say that that has worked out to our benefit uh, 
that is probably one of the most useful things I've ever gone over, even more so than any out-of-bounds play or any defensive play that mm-hmm. we've ever had to put in. Yep, yep. What about, uh, you know, do you have uh, some stuff on your uh, your play card? Uh, I'm assuming you've got something with you on the sideline. Uh, do you have, like, a, a special teams list? Like, here's here's our press break list, or here's our press break team, here's our free throw team, here's our three-point shooting team. Do you, do you have that sorted out, or is that more by gut and feel? I would say by gut and feel. Okay. And I would say that on the offensive and defensive ends, obviously. I mean, we're not afraid to jug teams if mm-hmm. we have to. I'm not. I'm yeah. not. I'm not ashamed to say that. You know, yeah. if 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 two kids are going off, I'm fine with a triangle of two. I'm fine with a, a diamond and one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm also again. I, I think there's a huge advantage to being able to change defenses out of a timeout. Yeah. As well. Mm-hmm. Um, but realistically, you know, we kind of already know, and we've been playing that strategy for a while it's it's who can defend those best players and those those key moments or how can we get the ball in the hands of our players to be successful at the end of games and realistically we're talking about you know two maybe three players that can Mm -hmm. do that yeah Yeah, one of the things that that i do um while we're on this topic is is I do have my play sheet, and, and it's not that it's it's set in stone. Okay, well I wrote it down. I have to do it. I mean, it's but it's something to go by. Of you know, here's our press team, and okay, we call timeout. We're down three with a minute left to go. Okay, let me check real quick. Oh yeah, we we want Mary and Becky in, Julie and and Suzette, you're out or whatever, uh, because yeah, we want to get that press team in. Um, and so, but you know, obviously we have the the freedom, or I give myself the freedom to. Uh, you know, okay, Julie's really rolling here. We're going to leave Julie in, even though she's not on the press team, blah, blah, right. blah, that type of thing. So we, uh, I, I'd have to look it up real quick. Uh, but uh, we've got our three-point team. We've got our press team. Uh, we've got our three-point shooting team. Um, oh, we got something else on there, too. Um, I can't remember what it is. Okay, popped up. Our press break team, our ball handling team. Um, and then we have our, uh, defending the three point shot. And, uh, so we, we kind of try to, uh, at least I try to think that out, uh, before every game, uh, just in case, uh, we're going to need that. So I have it in front of me and I have a little bit of a point of reference when you start getting a little bit stressed out for whatever reasons at the end of the ball game. So, um, well, I think too, I mean, you know, we're not that deep, you know, honestly, so I think it's more hot hand in those situations offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. But I would say this too. I mean, I spend the first 30 seconds of our timeout talking to my assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm not even the one running the timeout. Yeah. You know, if we're doing, if, if we're trying to set up a late game out of bounds play, perhaps I'm the one standing on the side mm-hmm. watching some, you know, one what? of my assistants draw things yeah. up. So yeah. they know we're subbing offense, defense at the end of games um, and that's automatic. I can just look at them and they already know mm-hmm. what I'm thinking. And I think that that's such a crucial piece of involving your assistant coaches as well. Yeah. Cause in your system, like you said, your husband's your offensive, offensive coach essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. So if you're down two with 25 seconds left, he's, he's drawing it up probably. Isn't he's he? running the play. Yeah. He's running the play. And then I, and then my, I have two other assistants as well. So we have you know five of us mm-hmm. and, and, and we're very, the, the you have to encourage honesty, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it all stops with me. But you know, we really 
uh, opinions are welcome, yeah. right? And and so, you know, everybody kind of knows their role. But at the end of the day, if somebody's got something in their back pocket that I hadn't thought of, I have no problem. My ego is not that big, right? I mean, yeah. you talk about you talk about Snow Valley people, well, and that's the first thing they tell you, right? Is put your ego aside. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I've I've you're been really pompous to me the last couple summers. I can tell you that right away. So no, I'm just what kidding. What are you Listen. talking about? <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You are you are uh, <laughs> one of the most humble people I've ever been around, Liz. I I, I truly mean that. So, uh, and and I could just see you. I I mean honestly, if uh. uh if I was out in, in Massachusetts and watching your game, and if it was a two point game with twenty seconds left to go, and you're calling, I mean, I know, I, I absolutely could see you uh, giving the clipboard to to one of your assistants, say, "Hey, if you've got a good idea, let's roll with it," you know. And so, totally see that. Um, how about uh, you, you're more on the defensive side of the ball here? Um, up three, are you going to foul? How much time's left? <laughs> Um, right? 14 seconds. Uh, probably not with my crew. Okay. I, I, uh, I say that I think if you, you know, I think one of the things that, that goes by the wayside a little bit with, with girls basketball too is, you know, not only do you have to decide whether to foul, but you got to know how to foul. Yeah. Right. I mean, so I think that's, we don't spend a lot of time on, proper fouling in those situations and that's probably a fault of mine i guess mm-hmm. um you know go for the ball and you know you hope they're not intelligent enough to shoot the ball and, mm-hmm. and you know yeah blah 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 uh but we have been one of the top teams in the state defensively and so that just happens to be something that i very much trust yeah um now that said balls in the backcourt you're under whatever under five seconds to go absolutely we would okay um, but I think it really, it's, it's time and situation there. And we've talked about that, but at the end of the day, that's just not as high, as high on our priority list of things that we want to spend the time to do the intricate details of. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, plus with that fouling up, up three, uh, with girls, uh, you're, pr- it just seems like, uh, girls seem to give up more offensive rebounds Correct. off of missed free throws than, than guys do. And I'm, I'm not saying that in a derogatory way or anything no, like that. No, that's the truth. <laughs> uh, it, it, I just think if you really broke it down, I, I'm, I'm, I would be willing to bet the, the first paycheck at your new job that the girls give up more than, than the guys do. So They uh, absolutely do. We lost our tournament game because of that. Uh-huh. I, and I'm, I'm a full believer. I mean, they, we give up two offensive rebounds on free throws at the end of games and, you know, I got five, five foot 10 bean poles. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have, you know, the, the, the kids that are going to be able to, to establish space in the lane as much as I would like. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, on the flip side of that, that's a, that's an opportunity to take advantage of on the other side of it yep. too, right? Yep. Like, yep. so I would ask, you know, I would say, all right, if you're, if you're coaching, do you have a set play? on free throws to get an offensive rebound and a shot. And we do, Uh uh, should we be in that situation? And I'm more comfortable with that than almost I am with the bounce of the ball on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Shoot, I had a really good question for you, and now I can't remember what it was. Um, uh, Of course, I'll remember it as soon as we're done recording. Um, What... 
are oh i know it was okay more and more states going to the shot clock you've got experience with the shot clock how often are you working on and what's or what's kind of your philosophy and how often are you working on okay we're up six with uh how, how long's your shot clock 30 seconds 30 seconds well okay so we're up six with two minutes left to go in the game and we've got the ball uh, so obviously we we just can't take it and hold it like we can in Nebraska. Um, you're you're going to have to uh, attack the basket at some point. So how how often are you working on how much time do you spend on up six with two minutes left to go? Uh, but we still know we're going to have to to uh, attempt to engage uh, and and we're going to have to get a couple of shots up here. How often are you working on that? And what's kind of your philosophy philosophy with that? All the time. Because I think that applies to the end of quarters, too. Yeah. Right? I mean, we, yep. you know, we want to make sure that our last two minutes of quarters is in the positive direction for us as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and and not only, you know, in terms of, of just shot clock management, I think we we have sort of our delay offense until you get down to 10, 12 seconds. And then we're really specific about when do we then go, mm-hmm. right? And... I'm a big believer in, in vocabulary and communication. And usually those are one word commands, mm-hmm. whether it be from me or whether it be from our point guard, maybe kids are distracted and they, you know, they don't see the shot clock. There are certain crucial words that we will use to get into those situations um, to give ourselves that advantage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, anything else, Liz, on special situations? I would just say, at least on the defensive side of the ball, what are your priorities and who are the best kids, right? Yeah. So, you know, most inbounds plays are designed to go to the blocks. I mean, yeah. that's just the way that is. Yep. Uh, do you want somebody on the ball? Do you not? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have the opportunity to switch switch defenses? You know, uh, give it a timeout. They see what you're in. Do you switch defenses? Um, and I think that especially applies on the sideline out of bounds. Uh, you know, we... Yep offensively try to take full advantage of when people are not up on the ball Yep. because we're not up on the ball Mm -hmm. defensively. Mm -hmm. So we're, I think the awareness of the inbounder has got to be a crucial element, especially with side by sideline out of bounds plays at the Mm -hmm. end of games. Yeah. One of the things, and I just kind of stumbled upon this. It was in an AAU game. I was, I was coaching AAU one summer and there was like, I think there was like one second left. And so we were off the ball, off the ball, off the ball. And I've always been an off the ball person. But what I told my gal was right before the official gives the gal the ball. I mean, you see him, you you could tell you've played enough right before. I want you to just run. I want you to go from the three point line and I just want you to get up as big as you can. And I just ball, 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 just, just lose your mind and get And this girl gal was about five eleven, really long. So we wanted a bigger player on the ball anyway. And there's one second left. And, uh, the, the, it rattled the girl so badly that she stepped in bounds with the ball. We got the ball turned over to us on a violation. And, hmm. and so, uh, that's something that, uh, if, you know, instead of starting out, with the ball, if you've got a smart player, if you've got that gal, that's a uh, guy or gal that's that's supposed to guard the inbounder, that is pretty smart, and they can make it kind of a, a a read and make a little psychological push in a high stress situation with one or two seconds left. And instead of starting out on the ball, you're you're off the ball, and then you're charging up, and it's just one more thing that they've got to think about uh, in, in a in a very 
high pressure situation that's worked well for us as well and i think i think with you got one or two seconds left i think that's absolutely the best way to go mm-hmm. you know i mean that's a no-brainer to send somebody up on the ball especially if you have that length yeah you know just to create especially you know in a full court situation or whatever i, I you know i i absolutely agree with that and i love that because mm-hmm. it, the more uncertainty you can create just as you know switching defenses after a timeout then the more people have to think and the more you have to think, then probably it's not going to go your way. Well, and that's um, why you hoard the timeouts just in case you have to think because then you can absolutely. make the adjustments afterwards. So, And yep. we come full circle. There we go. Right. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Liz, I value your friendship so much. Thank you so much for, for staying in touch over the last year or so. Uh, any Anything you want to plug for your program? Uh, I would just say if anybody ever needs a, a uh, end-of-game situation that somebody needs a, an out-of-bounds play to get, get your best player of the ball, I've got that in my, in my back pocket. So if anybody needs that, I'd be happy to share it. All right. How would they get a hold of you to get that said play? Uh, I am on Twitter at, uh, I believe, I guess I should check my Twitter, but I believe it's <laughs> Coach LK 22 Yeah, um, it's something like and that. And then I'm happy to share anything via email as well at uh, Coach LK. 77 at gmail.com. Gotcha. Last question, Liz. Uh, how are your dookies going to do without Coach K in charge? How's John Shires going to do for you? Well, the good news is that the reason I married my husband is because he looks like John Shire. So <laughs> my best bet is that they're going to be fantastic. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and ready to be a GQ model as well absolutely (laughs) good stuff good stuff liz thanks so much appreciate you coming on uh and again like i said it's been a it's been a privilege to uh get to know you uh the last year or so and and uh look forward to hopefully seeing you in northeastern iowa again next summer i'll be back perfect perfect thanks liz all right thanks marty appreciate it